Today's date is March 28, 2018. The title of tonight's message is Poured Out. Poured Out. This week is commonly known as the Passion Week, with next Sunday being Easter. It just so happens that Passover starts this Friday evening, according to the Jewish calendar. Pretty cool. Before you get too excited and begin celebrating Good Friday merged with Passover, Matthew 12:40 records Jesus stating that he was going to be in the earth, the heart of the earth, for three days. Everybody say three days. Three days. And three nights. Everybody say three nights. Three nights. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale. Therefore, the Passover on which Jesus was crucified uh, or, or was crucified occurred on Wednesday, not on a Friday. If this truth rocks your religious ritual, then I must direct you to an LCM sermon titled Three Days and Three Nights. It's great, fantastic message. Uh, tempting as it may be, to divulge into the subject and pick it apart. That is not the word that the Lord gave me for you guys tonight. And not just you, but for me as well. So, everybody got your Bibles? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. We'll start in verse 7. You know, this past January, or I'm sorry, December... Of 2017, we preached a series. January, we preached a series. But this whole time, ever since I have ever been part of LCM, formerly LCMF, we have been preaching Holy Ghost series. Words that come from the throne of God, words that are the manna from heaven that feed our souls, and that one interconnects with the other. You know, we've been reading or, or studying and sermons coming out from this pulpit. Even words being personally given at the altar or coming out of Friday Night Discipleship Helps. And every bit of these words have to do with strengthening. Strengthening. But there's any word that we can really be encamped and set our feet on the foundation is that God desires to strengthen us. So as we look through the progression of the past couple of sermons and what God has been doing to strengthen our arms and steady our weak knees, it's for a purpose. Last Wednesday, I shared about power with a purpose. And then Pastor Wade shared a word on Sunday. It was phenomenal called No Matter What. All of these are being aimed at fortifying your resolve at doing the will of God even down to the last drop. So that leads us here to Hebrews 5 in the title of tonight's sermon, Poured Out. Starting in in 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. He learned obedience from what he suffered. Y'all are with me. Amen. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. In tonight's message, I'm going to speak to you about your responsibility to respond to Jesus' life on earth. Now, really, isn't that the heart of every message? (laughs) That he is the epitome. He is the telos, the goal for which it is pointed. But particularly capitalizing On this particular day, the Wednesday, where he would have been 
crucified. That we get to reflect back on the pain, the agony that he suffered on this day. But there's a little bit more to it. So let's go to Matthew 14. We'll start in verse 13. Say there when you are there. There, 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 there. Near, far, near, far. There. Now before we read this verse, I'm going to let you know that these are going to be seven unique ways that Jesus poured out his life through sacrifice. It'll be in a PDF attached to our message and you can download it. You can look at it, put it on your refrigerator, hang it on your fridge, color on it, whatever you want to do. The heart of this is that you have a very clear example of what these days of Jesus' life look like. Because you ever been there before you're actually there? So raise your, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. We do that all the time. Say yes if you've ever been on vacation. Yes. Say yes if you were actually on vacation before you got there. Yes. Amen. That's everybody in the room. Right? Curtis, you know what I mean. Come on, you spent some time in Florida. That's where you were raised. We would go to Destin, Florida almost every single year growing up from the age of 12 to about 17. And I could smell the salt water, the breeze coming off. And I could feel the sugar sand between my toes. But I was still in school and I lamented every minute I had to stay there. Well, in the same manner, now through a sacrificial means, Jesus was there at the point of on the cross, at the point of pouring out the last drop of who he was before he ever got there. So let's look at this. The first one is poured out his comfort. So in Matthew 14, 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. You know, let's reflect on exactly what's happening here. John the Baptist had just been beheaded, right? Jesus was looking for some time to be refreshed, replenished, and encouraged by his father. He just lost his cousin, and he just lost his best friend, and the guy that was a herald proclaiming his coming and actually baptized him. So here he is wanting to spend some time with the father, dejected, or better yet, needing ministry to him. And what does he do when he sees the crowds? He has compassion on them. He gathers them and he feeds them. This is the feeding of the 5,000. What about those times? Because as we're going through worship, I want to address something that just the, my spiritual antennas are picking up left and right. And I don't know particularly what it is, but it is a form of idolatry. It's something that Jesus wants to break down in a stronghold in your life. I would say this would be also for those that are listening on the, the, ser- the sermon, audio or video. But that's not who we were engaging during worship. And that's not who the word... The, the, the word that the Lord gave for me, for you. So in addressing these seven things, I want you to look and evaluate the condition of your heart and ask, do I have a level of idolatry or any idolatry in me that is trying to resist the pouring out of this sacrifice? What do you do when you lay down in your bed? It's 
see, LCM uh, ending time of a day is somewhere around midnight, a one, right? You get home after a long day, great fellowship, great service, it's wonderful, and it's coming to an end, and you get that text message or you get that phone call. Does compassion stir within your heart? Are you willing to get up out of your bed, get on the phone, minister to that person, respond in text with scripture and encouragements that can lift them out of the pit? Or you just kind of ignore it and wait till the next day to respond? Are you willing to pour out your comfort for the sake of others? Well, we're kind of going somewhere with this. So number two, everybody say number two. He poured out his fame. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Say there when you are there. You know what's important as we go through each one of these, as you're evaluating the condition of your heart, the actions that, that you perform, is that you're taking a good look at how your heart responds to when God asks you for more. It's not just other people. When God is deliberately and clearly asking you to pour out more, but you want to hold a little bit more in reserve because you're not sure how you're going to function if you pour that last little bit out. So let's talk about fame. Now, it's not particularly anything that any of us in this room have to deal with much, but to some level and some degree, there is a reputation that precedes us, and we're worried about what that reputation looks like. Let's look at it. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He scorned the shame of it. That though he was the son of the living God, manifest in the flesh here on earth, he shoved it all aside to take up the most shameful condition a human being could endure. Wrongly accused and then crucified for our sake. Because ultimately, whose shame did he pick up? Mine. Mine. You know that guilt? You know that tendency to not look other people in the eye when you come to church or go to a home meeting because something is wrong between you and the Lord? That that shame, right then and there, he paid for by his blood. He seeks to remove from you that shame because he took it on himself. He poured out his life. By pouring out his desire for fame and he picked up shame in its replacement. You know, each one of these seven things are going to be things that he participated or demonstrated in his daily life. But are ultimately for your benefit and mine that we experience every single day and that we can't live without. So number three, he poured out his family ties. See, I'm going to keep ratcheting these up. Frank, I'm just going to Drop the hammer at some point. Is that unlike me? Is that unlike me to drop the hammer? No, amen, amen. 
I'm just trying to keep up with my other brothers. So family ties. Let's pick up in Matthew 12, 46 through 50. So we have Easter coming up. Yeah, say there when you're there. We have Easter coming up. And much like many holidays, those ties are on the heartstrings. Where relatives call and they want to see their grandkids. They want to visit. A lot of different things want to happen, right? But then you got that one person at work that you've been talking to, you've been witnessing to. And you've been waiting for them to come to church forever. And the one day out of the year that they have the greatest desire to come to church was probably going to be Easter because that's when their conscience actually gets to them. And what do you do when they call and say, hey, we want to come to church this Sunday? And you're about to take off and go out of town because you made a commitment based on family ties, not based on the kingdom of God. Repent. Now let's look at exactly how Jesus handles something like this. So Matthew 12, 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. You know, he poured out his family ties. And he concluded by saying, Forever, who do, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You know, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Amen. That's been a clarifier that has been life-giving here recently, ever since our One Association meeting in October. That what we have is the ability to call our family members up to the standard of God's word. Up to the blood of Jesus that will make them qualified to be included into the family of God. We have the ability to share with them the good news of what it's like to do the will of the Father and thereby be included in the kingdom with us. But to shy away from that and to cater and be puppeteered by family ties and heartstrings, is to be absent of sharing with them the real truth. And that real truth is that there is a blood that has solidified us into the kingdom of God, into the family of God, that the womb could never attach us to. You know, it's clear that as you progress further into doing the will of God, one of the many things that are going to challenge your progression are going to be family ties. That may be what once was a fatherly or motherly voice directing and guiding you with the best that they had. Now out of fear, telling you, don't take your children to that foreign country. It's dangerous there. Don't spend all of your life pursuing ministry because you went to so many years of college. You're going to throw away all that money that we spent investing in your career. And at some point, you're going to be challenged with that family tie. And it's either going to be to do the will of the Father or not. And I pray that you guys do come into contact with that. 
I pray that you do have to wrestle with that because when you get it right, it is liberating and it is free. Jesus had no qualm stating exactly who his mother and his brother was. And by doing so, he continued in his ministry and that led him to the point of being on the cross. And you know what God gave him back? God gave him his mother. God gave him his brother and his sisters back. But they had to rise to that standard of what the crucifix was in the first place. Because it was there on the cross that Jesus looked at John and he looked at his mom and he said, Mother, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. But how many times do we try to get that kind of reconciliation outside of the blood of Jesus? We can't. It's impossible. But through joining in Jesus' sacrifice, of pouring out even our family ties, we can find that reconciliation that we so long for. Y'all ready for number four? Let's do it. He poured out his time. John chapter four, verse seven. A wise man once said, women spell love T-I-M-E. That is true. Everybody there? John chapter 4, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You know, Jesus could have gone around Samaria to get to where he was going. But instead he goes through and he stops in this town. It's not like he just cruises right through. But he was tired from the journey. And he sat down at the well. And he asked this woman for a drink. He spent time with her. Time that I'm sure he could have stopped in at a, an inn. And rested inside of a solitary room. He could have kept on going and wait till he got outside the town and rested underneath an acacia tree. But instead, he stopped right smack dab in the middle of the town. It's like he was looking for those who hungered and thirst after righteousness. Well, another example may be whenever Jesus was praying, even into the fourth watch of the night for the disciples. He saw them straining at the oars. When he got to that point of the fourth watch. Does anybody know what the fourth watch is? Right? That's 3 to 6 a.m. 3 to 6 a.m. A lot of you guys in this room have a prayer time right now that's somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. That's a tough time to pray. You are pouring out a sacrifice of time by doing that. And what you're doing is that you're providing aid, cover, and intercession for your brothers that are straining at the oars. That's true for our turkey team, but it's also true all of the time. And what I mean is this, is that to what extent are you willing to sacrifice the time that you have for the benefit of other people, and it's outside of the normal time you would do it? Because whenever we, we have a, an hour or two to spare, that's an easy time to pray. I didn't, I didn't have anything else better to do. But sleep, oh my goodness, sleep. Sleep is precious. Isn't that right, Curtis? 
Sleep is precious. And when we're sacrificing that time to actually rest and legitimately rest, it is precious before the living God. Come on, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So saints, whenever we are dying to ourselves and pouring out our sacrifice of time, just like Jesus did, it is an aroma before the living God. Let's go to number five. He poured out his career. And I alluded to this earlier. So go to Mark chapter six. We'll start in verse three. Isn't this the carpenter? Now, another passage, and another one of the gospels says, isn't this the carpenter's son? But it's unique here, where they've identified him by his career, his trade. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Let's go to the next verse, verse 4. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. They called him a carpenter. He called himself a prophet. You know what this looked like for Wade and for Eric and myself for a long time? Is that people would ask us, What do you do? Well, we're a pastor. No, 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 no. I mean, you, you have a church? No. Well, yes. Are you full-time a pastor? Yes. But also have a full-time job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor that is an electrician. I am a pastor that is a principal. I am a pastor that is in sales. Jesus poured out his career. And here in his own hometown, he reversed their language and definition of who he was. They wanted to define him by his career. He defined himself by what God had called him to do. Come on, God calls the things that are not as though they are. So we serve a living God who has demonstrated for us that by pouring out this aspiration and definition of what careers are supposed to be, Instead, picking up the call that God has put on our life. You know, there are some of you in this room that have hands that are to heal. And that God may have put you in certain jobs that where you can lay your hands on the sick every single day, but it's probably not going to be working in a hospital. It may be within cubicles, something totally outside the spectrum, where you can go by and visit people that you work with And daily see them struggling with certain things and ask them, hey, can I pray for you? You're going to pour out your career in that moment. And someone may say, hey, man, don't get too intense with that Jesus stuff. You may get fired. I'm going to do what God called me to do and put my call above my career. You know, there are some men right now that have chosen to go on the trip to Turkey. And when they come back, they will not have a job because of their choice to make the trip. 
So what your intercession is doing, what your sacrifice of time is doing, is preparing a way for God to provide for that family when they land back home. To pour it out. So as you continue to pour out through intercession, remember that the call of God on these men's lives and on your lives supersede the career that your arm or somebody else's arm has so desperately tried to stretch you into. Call, not career. Let's go to number six. Poured out his resources and finances. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. Say there when you are there. Here we go. Y'all with me? Yeah, here we go. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you might, I'm sorry, so that through his poverty might become rich. Now, are we talking about natural riches? No. We know know that the kingdom of God is not about natural riches. But it's defined in this way. He gave up his spiritual wealth to take on the poverty of humanity. Come on, he, he was with the Father from the beginning. He was in perfect unity and had at his disposal an unlimited power, unlimited ability to do anything that he wanted. And he gave it all up to come and join in our humanity so that we didn't have to experience death. That's either death in the now, meaning death of vision, death of right relationship with God, and eternal damnation and separation from the living God. Now, as we go back to and reflect on worship, and as we're getting into God's presence, His presence is going to challenge All of the areas that we've covered so far, one through six and more. You ever been in that place in worship where you know that something's not right with your heart, but you're not really sure what it is? And as you begin to seek his face more, as you're going to ask the Lord, reveal, expose, examine my heart, Lord, see if there's any offensive way within me. And he begins to reveal something. It's it's an, an attitude of the heart or it's an action that has been blind to you for so long. I want to encourage you that now as we're going through the word. And as we're looking at each one of these items. To let it sift your hearts. Let it permeate. And be asking yourself. Lord examine my heart in this matter. Is there any offensive way inside of me towards you? Because I can't live with it. You know it's good at times that we don't feel God's presence. The normative way that we should. You know, by the halfway through the first song, we got that joy that's bubbled up inside of us. By the third song, we can feel the weight of his presence and we have a prophetic word stirring inside of us. That he begins to get our attention by those things not coming so easily. Your ears perk up and go, oh, what's wrong? You begin to ask the Lord that question. Then he begins to remind you of certain conversations. Maybe even certain things that you said under your breath about your spouse, 
about a friend, about a coworker, and it's revealing the true attitude of your heart. And in doing so, of identifying it, now you have to do something about it. And you're worried. You're worried if you go down to the altar at this point in service, everybody's going to know. You know, Wade just called it out over the microphone. Matt just said something during worship. Eric just prophesied, interpreted tongues that reveals exactly what I'm doing. And nobody's down at the altar yet. So if I go first, everybody knows it's about me. Y'all ever been in that position? Yes. yes. Amen. Thank you for that hand raised, brother. So what do you do in that moment? You take your life and you pour it out. To be poured out means to leave no reserve for yourself or anybody else. It's to be in a place of complete submission before the living God because there is no other standard that we are to live by. I'm going to abandon my notes for a little bit. Hopefully this will come out clear. But going through these six items leads us to the point where Jesus poured out his life and therefore his blood for us. All the the previous ones that he poured out were for us, but ultimately we wouldn't be able to inherit eternal life. We couldn't experience the presence of God right here in a worship service until he got to the point of pouring out his blood. Because without the resurrection from the dead, our faith is futile. But what preceded that resurrection power was that crucifixion level of sacrifice and being poured out for all humanity. What are you holding on to in reserve? What are you keeping back from the Lord? There's just that last little bit that he's demanding for. And that resurrection power is waiting to follow right behind. With that last little bit of your life, are you protecting? Let's use the right kind of words. We say keep in reserve, but it's protecting that time. It's protecting that comfort. It's protecting those finances. What is it that God's presence is challenging and saying, that's mine. I poured out my life for you. You pour out your life for me. He deserves nothing less than our all. Nothing less. You want to have that resolve of Kazakh and Amats. You want to have that strength that says no matter what, you got to pour it out all. Otherwise, that last little bit that you're protecting is idolatrous. And it is a stench before the living God. You have to get rid of it. Are you protecting your identity? And what I mean is this. If I begin to pursue you more in the way that you're asking me, Lord, it's going to change the way that people look at me. It's going to change the reputation that I've worked to build in their eyes because it's going to mean that I actually have to ask questions that reveal I don't know as much as I've projected that I know. It's going to challenge relationships at work because now I actually have to confront somebody at work about their habitual sin and they call themselves a Christian. I've avoided that for years, but now I'm confronted with the guilt and the condemnation that I've done nothing but cower to that and as a means of preserving my career in that place. Pour it out. Pour it out. Whatever the Lord is bringing to your attention, turn it right side up and pour it all out. That's the only point that we can find ourselves being ready to be filled anew and afresh. 
I don't know about you, but we began tonight's service before worship in a bit of a funk. And through worship, I'm trying to encourage and break through in the heavenly realms. I'm not sure exactly what it is that's holding us back. But I know that running after the holiness of God, I know that getting to a point where we have nothing left in the tank, and God, I've given you my all, leaves me in a place that can only receive his blessing, his favor, and his resurrection power. You want to celebrate the crucifixion? You want to celebrate Passover? Pour it out. Let's go to John 19, verse 30. Say there when you are there. There we go. John 19, 30. When he had received a drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head. And gave up his spirit. This is what I was referring to earlier. If we don't, if he doesn't get to this point, then everything else afterwards doesn't happen. The resurrection doesn't happen. Us experiencing the renewal and transformation by his blood doesn't happen. Pentecost. Holy Ghost feeling power doesn't happen. Us experiencing the presence of God in this place does not happen. Jesus had to come to the point where he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. That was the last thing remaining in him. They had beaten his flesh to the point where it was unrecognizable. And his soul was weary because he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the only thing was left was his spirit, and he gave that up too. With the thought of our guys in Turkey and going through hostile territory, all of us, I'm sure at some point in our prayer, we're thinking and praying for them in the hostile situation. And if it came down to it, we know that all of those men would willingly lay down their lives for the king of kings. But I want to stop and really camp on this point. That all those men have been living in such a way of sacrifice, they were there before they were ever there. They were pouring out their comfort. They have been pouring out their finances. They've been pouring out their careers. They've been pouring out their family ties and their fame. They've been already on the cross before they ever actually were nailed to it. That bullet going through them and ending their life, if that were the scenario to be, they've already been there. Well before their feet ever set place to experience it. So what are you doing? If you are holding back in reserve, you are ultimately holding back yourself from experiencing pouring out even your spirit. You're holding yourself back from being that spiritual hero that you might think that you are. And we all play a good game when it only happens in our mind. We would all say right now, yes, Jesus, I'll give you my life. If somebody walked through these doors with AK-47s and said, renounce Jesus and you can live. If you don't, we will shoot you on the spot. I know that the majority of people in this room 
would say, yes, I'll do it for you. I'll take the bullet. But the truth of the matter is, where the heart's really tested, is your heart there before you're actually there? Are you living in a way that is being poured out even in the small things before it's the final one? So examine your hearts. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. What we see through these seven things is that Jesus lived a life of sacrifice. He lived a life of poured out, which enabled him to pour out even his spirit. Well, there's some some culminations in God's word that give us some direction for how God views this. In Exodus 3, 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. You know, as we go through these incremental steps of pouring out our comfort, pouring out our fame, pouring out our finances, and everything else, and it hurts. I mean, sacrifices should hurt. God is concerned about our suffering. It doesn't go unnoticed at all. Now, with no show of hands or yeses or amen, how many of you guys have done something extremely sacrificial in secret and it hurts? And you're just wondering, did anybody really notice this? Is anybody really concerned how much this really hurt? How we're having to sweat paying our mortgage because we wanted to give offering in addition to tithe? How much this really is going to hurt the next morning when I wake up at 6 o'clock to go to work and, and I stayed up till 1 actually doing what Jesus said I was supposed to do and nobody saw it? Our king sees it. He is concerned about our suffering. Amen? Let's go to Psalm 22, verse 24. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. When you get to that point where you are poured out and you're emptied and the sacrifice hurts and there is suffering for doing what is righteous, In those secret times when you're praying, you're asking God, is this really worth it? Lord, did I do the right thing? Everything it seems I put my hand to in obedience to you seems to crumble and backfire. And you begin to cry out to the Lord. His ears are attentive to that. Now there's a difference between crying out to the Lord and grumbling. (laughs) Crying out to the Lord is saying, I need your help. And grumbling is saying, why did you put me in this position? It's your fault. So make sure whenever you are being poured out, 
that you get to that point where it hurts and it's true sacrifice. That you're crying out to the Lord and saying, I just need your help. I need your help. Holy Ghost, I need you to come and fill me. I need your supernatural power. Lord, I'm in that position again. I don't know what to do. I need your discernment. I need your power to actually fill my physical body because if I do to this level of sacrifice that you're asking, it's going to hurt my physical body. I need your power to fill it. Let's go to Isaiah 53. Now, just a special note of this passage in Isaiah and also the one we came from in Psalm 22. These speak of the suffering servant of who Jesus was. Psalm 22 in particular are exact things that Jesus said while he was on the cross. It's the exact characterization and documentation of what he experienced. So let's read here in verse 11 of Isaiah 53. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge of my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death. Let me read that again. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You want to be able to divide the spoils with the strong and have a portion among the great pour yourself out unto death. Let there be no reserve be completely poured out before the Lord have nothing in, in your protective environment. It says, I just need this to get by just in case. But instead, Lord, it's all yours because it's only through you that I can find a portion among the great. John 13, 14 through 17. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. If Jesus went to the extent that he did of being completely poured out, We have no excuse. There is no alternative means. If you say you are a Christian, you have signed up for the life of Jesus. It's not a ministry thing. It's not a missions thing. It is a Jesus thing. You have signed up to pour it all out. Revelation 1.9, I'll read this for you. I, John, your brother and companion... In the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Let me read that again. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering, everybody say suffering. Suffering. And kingdom, everybody say kingdom. Kingdom. 
and patient endurance. Everybody say hupomone. That are ours in Jesus. You want to know what the blessed things that you inherit by becoming one with the King of Kings when he is your Lord? You inherit suffering. You inherit the kingdom and you inherit patient endurance. Hupomone. Come on, if we serve a God who is righteous and just, not only are you going to share in his suffering, but you're also going to share in his glory. Our suffering does not have an uh, endless means or fruitless fruitless, uh, goal. Instead, it has a very clear goal, and that is his resurrection power. 1 Peter 4, turn there for me, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for human, evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. The same attitude. So, Michael, if I make this face right here, what attitude do I have? Groaning? Yes. Angry? Yes. So ready? I'm going to do this on my face and you, you do it too. Ready? Yeah, that's a great imitation. Now, I'm just doing that with my face. But what I'm trying to convey is an attitude of my heart. On a daily basis, you have before you an example. An example through Jesus, the King of Kings. The way that he lived this life. The way that he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries to the one who could save him from death. It's what we read in Hebrews 5. And by that example being in front of you, you are to imitate the same attitude that he had. What does that same attitude look like? Let's go to Philippians 2. Philippians 2, starting in verse 14. Now, this has been a scripture that has set the boundaries of attitude in my own household, in my own heart. It is something that I know that you can hear at least once a day in the Piro household, if not many other households. I believe the Clement household loves this one as well. <laughs> Mario says amen. Do everything. Everybody say everything. everything. Without complaining or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. In which you shine like stars in the universe. When is it that we are most prone to complain or argue? When we suffer. When we are poured out. We're empty. Right? It is very difficult to maintain godly thoughts at 3 a.m. in the morning when someone is banging on the wall with a hammer or whenever someone is screeching chairs across the floor as you're trying to pray at some early hour of the morning. Everything without complaining or arguing. To make this clear, this isn't just what comes out of your mouth. It's also 
what you're saying inside your own heart that doesn't come out of your mouth. It's the attitude by which you have. Let's go to verse 17. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. You know, Paul's concern is that he would have run his race, labored in vain. He said, you know what? Even if that was the case, I'm poured out like a drink offering before the Lord. Because the sacrifice was all about him. It was all about him and being obedient to what God had said. Well, think about it this way. If the Lord is asking you to be poured out, will it benefit others? Absolutely. But even if you can't see exactly how it's going to benefit somebody else in the now, will it benefit your relationship with Jesus? Absolutely. Will it benefit your standing when the end of your life has come? Absolutely. Uh, Young men, if y'all could bring that table up here. The imagery that I had for this sermon began in December 2012. You know, we were gathered in this very room before it was a sanctuary. This room was uh, originally filled with electrical junk whenever we first moved in. Probably this entire half of the church was filled with those big wooden uh, reels that electrical wires wrapped around. The rest of this half of the church was filled with parts and pieces. It was a mess. We cleaned it all up. It then became a fellowship hall that right in this area we had uh, like a kid's jungle gym. In this area we had a kitchen. In fact, some of the cabinets we use here were right here. Back here was a bathroom. And we would have lots of fellowship times. We would have uh, receptions for weddings in this place. Well, we were in this point, or in this place, and at the point of asking the Lord, what's, what are we supposed to do next? And we begin to pray. We're asking the Lord to give us vision about the new year because the New Year's Eve bonfire was coming up. And as we were seeking God's face, the Lord began to highlight something to me about my life. Now, we've been praying for months that God would begin to make a way for the Piros to go on full-time ministry, completely leave my secular work. Praying that it was going to happen, but unsure. The finances weren't there. Uh, the timing really didn't seem to be right, but we knew that God was going to make it happen. And the Lord said, you have been pouring out like this for so long. And this meaning... Tilt it over. I'll come to the side so you can see. Tilt it over. And always have some in reserve as you're pouring. So let's say this cup. That's your family. You're pouring into those guys. This is ministry. You're pouring into them. This is work. And you're pouring into it. This is missions. And this is the image that I saw. 
I'm getting low, getting empty. Lord, I think that's all I got. And what was left is this little bit of reserve in the bottom. And I thought it to be so minuscule that, Lord, you know that surely I'm, I'm 90% empty. I'm dry. I need a refreshing from you. And for so many years, I would just lift my head and my hands up to heaven and he would refill me. I'd be full and do it all over again. But at this point in December 2012, he said, this isn't good enough. I want to use you more. I'm going to increase your capacity. Well, my thought was, you know, do you expand the size of this bottle? Lord says, no, I'm not going to give you more money. I'm not going to give you more fame. I'm not going to give you more talent. I'm going to increase your capacity by circumcising your heart. That got my attention. Because I'm thinking a heart that isn't circumcised is a heart that can't hear God. That is in disobedience to Him. The one thing that was missing was the ability to be completely poured out. And this last little remnant at the bottom was my self-sufficiency. It would be that last little bit that I would hang on to and go back and feel refreshed, but also feel accomplished because I poured 95% of myself out. I've gone to this meeting. I've gone to the, done this worship. I've spoken in this counseling session. And all these things on my plate, work, ministry, family, missions. Look, Lord, look at all of what I'm pouring out for you. He says, yep, I want it all. I gave you my all. I left nothing in reserve for myself, so therefore you are to give me your all. And this is exactly what he did. Over the next couple of years, he would confront me with self-sufficiency. And through his word, he would pierce my heart. And it would cut and cut. It would begin to remove. And as I would come to the end of myself and had not have enough, feeling dry and empty, I finally got to the point where I had more capacity. That the circumcision of my heart had now left me in a place where I would be completely depended upon Him to pour through me. That whatever came inside of me was going to come right out. Whatever anointing He was going to put on my head was going to flow right out for others because He called me to live a life of being poured out. That's not just me. That's the life that He lived. And if that's the life that He lived, that's the life that you live. What are you holding on to? What are you resisting His Word from circumcising your heart? Your dreams, your visions, your passions, they mean nothing to Him if they don't belong to Him. They are an idol before Him. Something you have set up with your own arms and hands and said, yes, Lord, but this is for you. I'm holding on to it for you. He says, if it's not mine, it doesn't belong to me. And how I know it's mine is that you completely empty yourself of it. So as he began to circumcise my heart and say, you don't have enough. You are not fully equipped to do what I've called you to do. Why can't you get that through your head? 
Why can't you understand that you need me? You have to have me pouring through you in order to be used. Why do you deny me the ability to pour from heaven through you instead of just fill you up and then you go pour out? I want to pour through you. And so instead, this is what it began to look like. Straight through. Straight through. If I do one more, that bowl will overflow. You can do something like this. Straight through. Straight through. I didn't have to wait to go get filled up again. I was just constantly open to the moving of the Holy Ghost. You know what this point looks like in Scripture? This looks like that point when Jesus says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way to accomplish your will without having to endure this much, I'm just asking you because this is going to hurt a lot. And his conclusion was, not my will, but your will be done. What's being circumcised from our hearts is our will. What's being removed from our hearts is our control, our self-sufficiency. I want to show you one last thing in the Word. Let's go to Numbers 28. Now, anybody can do ministry and do something great for God when you feel powerful, when you have clear direction, when you have a prophetic word that you can almost touch with your hands and see as clear as you can see me. Anybody can do that. But what about that point when you can't see clearly? When you don't feel powerful? And when there is no prophetic voice giving you eyes to see and ears to hear? But only there is a complete dependency. And the only thing you know to do that is right is to sacrifice and trust that he is going to make up the rest. He's got to. In Numbers 28. Let's go to verse 6. This is the regular burnt offering instituted at Mount Sinai as a pleasing Aroma, an offering to the Lord made by fire. The accompanying drink offering is to be a quarter of a hen of fermented drink with each lamb. Pour out the drink offering to the Lord at the sanctuary. I want to go back, hold your place, and I want to read out of Philippians with this in mind. And that is, God set a precedent in Passover. He set a precedent in the way that it was to be sacrificed. And that this quarter hen of wine, what looks like blood, was to be sacrificed with the lamb. Looking back in Philippians 2. 
16. As you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I do not, did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice. Jesus is that sacrifice as the lamb. And what he's asking from you is to pour out your life on him. He is that sacrifice that we see here in Numbers 28. And he's saying, just pour yourself out on me. I set the example. I set the precedent. Join me in my sacrifice of being poured out of my comfort. Join me in my sacrifice of being poured out of my fame. Join me in my sacrifice of pouring out my finances. Join me in my sacrifice of pouring out my life and my blood. And you know what we're going to find? We're going to find resurrection power. You can have all of those things listed in the seven, but they mean absolutely nothing if there's no resurrection power. There are nothing if it doesn't result in right relationship with God. Being able to lay down your head at night and not be riddled with guilt from sin. People buy things all the time, whether it be medicine, vacations, possessions, to try and remove from their conscience the guilt that is a result of their own sin. But what we have the opportunity to do is to let His Word circumcise our hearts like that bottle and say, Lord, I am all yours. Pour me out on you. I want to join you in this suffering. I want to be poured out like you. Last thing. Our merit is not what we can keep in reserve, but rather how effectively we can pour out everything that he has given us. So something that Wade shared with me before tonight's service. It's great insight. Here's what I want you to do with your hearts. As we worship, I want you to ask the Lord to examine your heart. What are you holding back from Him? What are you resisting in obedience to being completely poured out? Where are you not being effective in pouring out what he's given you. What are you holding on to in reserve? Stand to your feet.